welcome back to the show where we uncover the obstacles and barriers, aka monsters and myths, that get in the way of getting stuff done. Today's guest, Tony Hughes, I met a number of years ago now um, at a conference, and Tony is a sales guru of note. He's a sales leadership coach, mentor, internationally acclaimed public speaker, um, and a brilliant author. He actually gave me a copy of this at the first event where I met him, The Joshua Principle, his, his best-selling book at the time, and it was absolutely fascinating. It's the only sales book that I've ever read that reads like a novel. So as a result, it's, you know, I have been a massive fan of Tony since then, and it is a huge honor for me to have him on the show. Tony, welcome to the show. Please tell everybody a little bit about you before we dive into your monsters and myths. Well, Andrew, thank you. And with an intro like that, it can only go downhill, right? But uh, I've got to say at that conference we both spoke at in, I think it was Joburg a number of years ago, uh, you were the standout speaker. So you're an awesome, awesome speaker yourself. Um, yeah, look, I've uh, been in the corporate world for 35 years. I've run corporations, uh, multinational corporations in the Asia Pacific region. Um, eight years ago, I went out on my own doing some consulting. I've published a few books. Uh, my next book that's coming out is called Tech Powered Sales. It's got a whole lot of futurism in it, Andrew, which I know, you know, is near and dear to your hearts. Right uh, up my yeah, street. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, enough about me. I'm more than happy to sort of jump, jump into monsters and myths. Brilliant. So let's dive straight into it then. What is your first monster or myth that you want to share with us today? And specifically, the magic to overcome it. That's the, the secret source that we're after. Well, the biggest monster I think anybody in business deals with as an entrepreneur or business person uh, is the monster of sales. Uh, most of us feel not good about selling. I know 35 years ago when I got into sales, uh, I kind of felt that selling was akin to prostitution. <laughs> you know, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd sort of go, go to parties or, or dinner parties, barbecues in the weekend, and people say, hey, Tony, what, what do you do for a living? And I just really struggled to sort of spit it out that I worked in selling. I'd come up with all sorts of other terms, right? It embarrassed but, um, me, yeah. Well, yeah, but just before I got into sales, before that, I'd, uh, I'd been in America, set up my own company in the States uh, as an entrepreneur. And the thing I learned was that if you can't personally sell and market yourself, you are just nowhere in business. And I, that's why I got into sales. It was a skill I needed to learn. So, so most people feel really scared by selling, uh, often because they fear rejection or they feel it's like prophetizing you know they're they're trying to convert other people and they're offending others um they just have all of these negative feelings around selling um and it's a it's a big monster in the in the life especially of entrepreneurs they'll have a great technical idea you deal a lot of a lot with technical innovators that was an amazing idea but unless you can get it to market uh and convince people that it's worth looking at uh everything else is really a moot point well the thing is we all have to sell. We sell ourselves to get a job. We sell ourselves to get a romantic partner. You know, we sell, not not in the way that you were previously <laughs> describing. I said that. You know, but we sell 
We sell to get an, an idea across, to get sponsorship. We sell to get promotion. We all have to sell. And I have to admit that sales is my own personal biggest demon that I constantly have to face. And I struggle with it. So, so what's the magic? How do we overcome this monster of sales when, when, when so many of us are so terrified by it? What's your advice for that, Tony? Yeah, be, be, because you're right. Selling is critically important. Yes, you need product market fit and intrinsic value in what you're offering, but you have to be able to sell it because that funds everybody else in the organization. So that's the monster. The myth, the myth is that selling is all about me. You know, it's all about my ability to persuade, my ability to communicate and tell people and uh, in the worst forms of selling to try and manipulate them into buying from me. Uh, and that is all a myth. Selling is about making a positive difference in the life of a customer, both personally and professionally. And what we need to do is we need to create a customer centric narrative that's all about them and their opportunity to drive improved results in their role for the organization and for them as an individual. So if they can drive improved results and in a way that gives them time back, reduces their stress, helps them hit their own KPIs, make their annual bonus, we make the conversation all about them. And Andrew, you actually gave that dating analogy and there's a lot of similarities. You know, we've all, you know, not that I date anymore, I'm past all of that, I'm happily married and too old, right? But but the reality was, you know, when, when you're dating in a, in, in a sort of bar or, or social setting, the person who's peacocking around all about themselves, trying to impress people with their watch and the sports car they drive and their title on their business card, if you're using business cards anymore, you know, it, it just turns people off, right? And, it, and the thing is, you just need to be genuinely interested in the other person and that attracts them or attracts you to them, attracts them to you. Um, so, so the key in dealing with this myth is to make it all about the other person rather than about us and have a have positive intent about helping them achieve better results in their role. Now that really works for me because I, I think we might've even discussed it when, uh, when, when I last saw you about storytelling. You know that I'm a storyteller. I'm an African storyteller. I love to tell stories. And, and I, one of the ways that I go about sales is I try and weave a story with the other person in it. And the other person, the person that I'm trying to sell to, can either be the victim or the hero or maybe even the protagonist, but I put them in the story and that becomes my pitch. That's the way that I try and get my, my pitch across is by telling a story. So, so that really resonates for me. Put the other person right in the middle of your pitch. It's not about you. And that, that makes it a lot easier. Actually, I'm going to do that a lot more consciously from now on is, uh, yeah. I work with audience personas and things like that. And I'm going to go, right, I'm going to put this person right in the middle of my story. What's my story that I'm going to be telling them? Yeah, and Andrew, and I, and I agree with that. And, and the challenge is to make them the hero of the story, not us. I, I remember when I first went out on my own eight or nine years ago doing consulting. You know, here's me. I'm meant to be this expert on selling. And people saying, hey, Tony, you've gone it on your own now. You know, what's all that about? I said, oh. 
yeah, I've created this RSVP selling sales methodology. Already their eyes are glazing over. No one's interested in that. Um, but, you know, what I learned was to stop talking about me and what I do and say, hey, I, I work with sales leaders like you uh, to help you get more of your reps hitting quota and in a way that de-risks the forecast that you can give to your boss and hold your sellers to account for self-generated pipeline. Do you mind if I ask how many of your reps are on target year to date right now? How much pipeline coverage have you got against quota for this, this current quarter and next quarter? And no matter what they answer to those questions, no matter what the answer is, it's never good. And I say, hey, it absolutely makes sense to talk. So rather than saying, I do sales training, I've got sales methodologies, I can provide courses, I do this, I do this, I do that. <laughs> Instead, hey, I've got some ideas on how you can drive improved results, more reps hitting quota, de-risk the forecast to the boss, right? And that's what they want. That's what they want. They, they don't want the other, they don't want to put their reps in a training course and take them away from revenue generating activity. They may need to do that, but it's not what they want. So don't lead with it fantastic kickoff there the really really good actionable advice that you've given us there to overcome that monster what's the next monster on your list the next monster i think is is goal setting you know everybody everybody knows that they need to have goals to be successful uh, but very few people do it they just pay lip service to it they they think they have goals in their head but they're not written down they haven't committed it to a mentor in their life, you know, just try and hold them to account. So goal setting is a bit of a monster for people. And the myth is that you can be successful without goals or that they're goals, even though they're written down. So, you know, the thing I would just say is that what I've found in my own life is that success is largely to do, largely to do with getting out of your own way <laughs> So we've all got hang-ups. So for example, when I, when I got into selling 35 years ago, when I got into selling, uh, I was rubbish at it. I had this bad attitude about it. I, 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 need, I needed to let go of all of my hang-ups and stop worrying about what people thought of me and be willing to fail, you know, because that's what it takes to be successful. So we, so we need to get out of our way is, 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 is really, really important and commit to do what it actually takes to be successful instead of just doing enough to not feel guilty, you know, about, about where we're at. Um, and it's only really a goal if it's written down and we're holding ourselves to account through someone else for achieving it. And the very last thing I'll just say on this is that, you know, if we're, if we're scared by goals, it's okay to fail. The, the true value in any goal, in my humble opinion, is who we become in the pursuit of it, not in the attainment. You know, so I might, I might have a goal, you know, whatever the goal is, I want to generate half a million dollars of income this year. Well, okay, so that's a goal. But the real issue is, well, why? <laughs> and who are you going to become in pursuing that goal? Are you going to become a stranger at home? Uh, are you going to become an unethical person? Like if, if the answer to those two questions is in the affirmative, it's not a good goal because you're not going to become a better person in the pursuit. Do you think that some companies, um, the goal setting is seen to be a, a box ticking exercise? I mean, I've worked in organizations where they had, you know, review processes and 
all your objectives had to be smart, specific, measurable, achievable, time-bound, realistic, you know, realistic time-bound, all that kind of a stuff. And, and everybody would work solidly on putting their objectives together and making them smart and then never ever look at them for another 12 months because they were just thrown out the window. The minute life got in the way, business as usual happened. There were daily fires to put out and all the rest. And so few organizations actually really lived and breathed those goals. That it didn't drive their actions or their activities. It was just like almost a compliance thing. Do you see much of that? Or do you think things have improved? Or do you think, you know, old habits die hard and there's still a lot of people who go around like that? That's a great insight, Andrew. It's not improving. And what you described is, is, the, is the norm in most organizations. Um, uh, it, like it's true of account planning. You know, people do an account plan, no one looks at it for 12 months. <laughs> You know, for, for example, they'll qualify a sales opportunity, but they don't go back and revisit it. So um, it, it is typically tick, tick the box, uh, but it really needs to be something that's, that's living and breathing for the person. Where everything falls down in organizations is, is at the management level. It's not that the employees are the problem. It's typically the leadership. So, so inspecting and holding people to account for what they commit to and understanding that people are best motivated for reasons that they themselves discover rather than us imposing something on them. So we need to help people go on their own journey of discovery, have their own epiphany that, hey, setting goals is something I need to do. Not, oh, my boss has told me to do this smart goal setting process uh, as part of the annual review, but they go, do, do you know what? I, I really need to set goals. Um, and I, and I, yes, I need to be realistic, but I also need to have stretch, you know, in there as well. And I, and I need to think about, um, you know, what sort of person am I going to be in 12 months time as a result of pursuing all of this? Um, what, what are my values that underpin the way I pursue an objective? Um, all of those things are really important. Do you know, for organizations today, uh, the, the most modern framework for doing this in big corporates is what they call OKRs objectives and key results and there's really good frameworks that cascade down through the organization to make sure that there's alignment uh, and that it becomes a living process that's another great insight there and that again it's almost it's the journey not the destination i mean i know achieving the goals specifically when you're in sales is crucial i mean I know organizations that that will fire people for not achieving their goals specific uh, um, monetary targets and and things like that um and and that would cause a lot of fear to a lot of people it's certainly it's prevented me ever from going anywhere near applying for a position that had hard and fast sales targets on it monetary targets um because yeah that's a thankfully i've never had to work in in, in that kind of environment but it's put me off some um, some advisory positions as well that I could have gone for in the past because they have that um, that specific monetary goal as a hard and fast target. And it's literally you miss your target two quarters and you're out you're out the door. No no second chances or anything like that. But I think that um, if if people did take a different approach and if I had taken a different approach to those going. What can I learn along the way to achieve those? 
that would help me achieve those goals anyway, you know, where, where the end result becomes almost a byproduct of the process of me getting there. If I can get a lot more from the journey, actually the sales become easier. Uh, potentially i mean is that is that the kind of a thing where you're saying where if i took that approach or somebody took that approach of learning as much as they can along the journey the the whole process becomes easier and hitting those targets becomes easier yeah and it's and and, and it's having a willingness to fail and that's why we all need a good mentor in our life that you know, puts puts uh, our own well-being at the center of the relationship in how they mentor us, because we, we all suffer to various degrees from imposter syndrome. Like we we all do. We all think, oh, is this the day I'm going to going to get found out? <laughs> you know that the, the, I'm not really as good as what I project. Um, uh, you know, and 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 the reality is, we just we just need to be willing to fail. It's it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. You know, if you, if you, if you aim for the moon, well, maybe at least you'll hit the telegraph pole, right? If aiming, aiming for nothing, you, you still got your eyes down in the dirt. So it, it's just, it's being, it's being willing to fail, getting past the whole imposter syndrome thing uh, and, and deciding that I'm going to define what success looks like for me as a person. Brilliant. So you've got one more for us. What's your last monster or myth? The third big monster, I think, is change. Um, most people are really scared by change. And boy, do we live in a world that's changing fast. I know that you speak and write about this a lot. Um, right now, uh, we're in the fourth industrial revolution where automation, AI, tech is changing everything in, in terrifyingly scary ways. Most people have no idea what's really going on with tech. Right now, for most people watching this, there's, there's a bunch of software engineers and technologists trying to figure out how to replace us you know, with some, some piece of tech that does it faster, better, more efficient. Um, so most of us are scared by change. We know the world is changing, but the myth is we think that we don't need to. Um, and, and, and the reality is if we fail to change and adapt, we absolutely do become extinct. Um, and everybody needs to develop what I call TQ, technical quotient. You know, we know about IQ, you know, mathematical intelligence. We know about EQ, in, in essence, knowing yourself and having relationship intelligence. Um, but TQ is really, really important because technology is the enabler for all of us to actually become superhuman in how we operate. Um, if we just, if we can apply timeless old school human principles and leverage the human traits of dealing with ambiguity, being creative, having a sense of humor. Um, Andrew, one of your huge strengths of being a great storyteller, right? if, if we can tell those stories, if we can help people navigate politics, build the business case, secure consensus for change. You know, these are all human things that AI, I don't think will ever do. Um, and if we can apply them then to technology that increases our reach and our efficiency, uh, then we become in essence a, a kind of cyborg um, that can actually prosper and do really, really well. So just, you know, the, the whole fear of change, the, the, the myth is, you know, that, you know, uh, I don't need to change even though the world is, that's, that's very dangerous. 
Uh, and what we need to do to counter that is, is we need to embrace the thing we fear. We need, we need to embrace tech and change. Uh, there's a um, there's a quote that I absolutely love, and and the big thing about change is that it's unknown, right? Uh, that's people fear the unknown. That's why they fear change because what they know is what they're comfortable with. And the quote goes, um, "People don't fear the unknown." people fear what they think they know about the unknown. And that's the thing is I think that a lot of people that I come across, particularly when, when I'm talking about technology and change, and, and, and by the way, the buzzword at the moment is that the future is dark, spelled D-A-R-Q, distributed, augmented, uh, sorry, distributed, artificially intelligent, Mixed reality and quantum stands for D-A-R-Q. That's the latest buzzword. Just thought I'd throw that one in there. But when when you start talking about the way that change and, and and hell, we've certainly lived through change during this COVID pandemic time. I mean, the amount of change that we've seen in recent in, in the last year is more than I've seen in my entire life of doing change, transformation, innovation. Um, and, and I think that whenever I speak to people and I talk to them about AI and, and they terrified about AI because it's going to take their job. And I mean, you even said there, you know, some techies are sitting there thinking how they're going to replace us. And, and for all that, you know, you're speaking to an avatar right now because we are not in the same room. I, I might not actually be here. This might be Andrew's uh, artificially intelligent avatar speaking to you. And, and people immediately go, well, AI is just going to take our jobs. And what are we going to do? And, 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 and all of this kind of a thing, because that's what they think they know. And, and I like you, I, I preach the power that it will give us to, to, be, to be superhuman, to be able to do a lot more. It amplifies, AI can amplify what we can do, and it helps us be so much better at our jobs and, and helps us be a lot more. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing you now on screen with your cyborg part of you on the side there. For those people that are listening audio only there, Tony's just put up a, a, a half cyborg Tony. You might have to just jump into the YouTube just to see him like that. Um, but, but this is the thing is that, is that once people understand, um, and it's, it's very much, it goes back to your first point on, on, on the selling and, and on the monster. Once they understand the benefit that change can bring to them, yeah. how it can give them more time. I mean, hell, how many people were resistant to the concept of working from home and working remotely before the pandemic? Now, suddenly, that at last people have had their eyes open to, well, I don't have to spend four hours a day commuting on a bus and on the metro and on the train and this kind of a thing. And, and hey, I actually get to see sunrise and sunset from my own home instead of be, that being where, when I'm already in the building or still haven't left the building. I've got more time with the kids. I've got more time with my wife and family and, and friends and all of that kind of a thing. Once people understand the benefit that change and transformation has to them, 
then they, they, they get on board with it. But so many change and transformation programs that I see being applied in organizations, it always talks about how the organization is going to benefit. And to me, change and transformation starts with people. Because technology bit is easy. You can slap technology into anything. Trust me, been doing it for years. But it's the people that have to be willing to change and change their processes, change the way that they apply it. And, and they have to embrace it. Otherwise, all the tech in the world will just, it, it, it won't serve the right purpose if you haven't got the people behind it that are supporting it. So yeah, change is a yeah. massive monster. And yeah, Andrew, I, I really agree. And I, I see so many people in business uh, and sales will subscribe to technology platforms, you know, in the world of business to business selling. If you're an entrepreneur, you could subscribe, for example, to LinkedIn sales navigator, but most people treat it like a gym membership. You know, they, they, they pay the monthly fee and they hardly ever go, you know, is the reality, you know, if the, you sit down with them and say, Hey, sh show me how you'd use sales navigator to find the people you could meet with. If you're going to do a trip to this city, you know, in two weeks time, and they just and they bumble around in the dark or show me how you'd construct a boolean search online you know to try and take that amazing amazing database at your fingertips to find that information that could make a difference for you and they have no idea um, and the thing i just find with change is you're absolutely right it it feels overwhelming uh and often daunting but once you jump in you go, wow, this, this wasn't as hard as I thought, right? This, this is actually good. Um, and, and, and the trick today is for us to not lose our humanity. I believe that the, 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 the biggest threat that the world is facing is actually mankind or humankind's relentless overpopulation of the planet, like a, like a plague of locusts, you know, and everyone's committed to, uh, puffing their chest up and virtue signaling about lots of their social causes about saving the planet. <laughs> and the truth is we're overpopulating the place, but everyone lives uh, in this Google bubble. A lot of people don't realize that when you do a search, Google gives you the results back that feed your bias, right? So if you, if you search for Donald Trump <laughs> and you're a Trump hater, you know, it'll give you lots of content that fuels your dislike of Donald Trump. And if you're a if you're a fan, you'll get you'll get content back that fuels you know that that bias. The same as global warming, or or, or topics of religion, um, all of these things. And what that's doing is it's polarizing society, because we're losing losing our empathy for another person's point of view, because we just stay in places that fuel our own bias. And it's a long-winded way of saying you know the thing with technology is don't disappear down the rabbit hole of tech and get consumed by it. We need to maintain our humanity. We need to keep building truly human relationships with people and see the tech as an enabler, not, not as a substitute. And on that very profound bit of advice, I'm gonna wrap up this episode, but before I do, Tony, what's the best way of people getting hold of you? I'll put your links in the show notes and things like that, but which website should they find you at or your LinkedIn? Yeah, uh, so you can find me at tonyhughes.com.au, tonyhughes.com.au. 
uh, and also in LinkedIn. Fantastic. And I'll put those links in the show notes uh, um, for everybody to be able to get to them easy. Tony, it's been absolutely fabulous having you on here tonight. And I hope that our paths are going to cross again in real life sometime in the very near future. I, I would love that, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers.